episode Good morning, 17. Everybody. Woo! Woo! I mean, it might, it might not be morning when they're listening, so. They should be. They, yeah, they should listen at 6.01 oh, a.m. after this goes, yeah. I demand it. refreshing your app at 5.59. Right, just to make sure it <laughs> pops up right there. Don't do that. Good morning, guys. Welcome to episode 17 of the Rooted in Logos podcast. My name is Brad. I am joined, as always, by two of the top 20-looking men in southern Indiana. You got two other people I, here that I, I don't know about? <laughs> <laughs> Austin and Carter. Austin, how's it going? Pretty good. It's going pretty good. Good week. And um, I'm, I'm excited about today. We're, yeah. we're going to get into some good stuff. Carter, how are things going for you, buddy? I am super tired. Yeah. I'm working a lot. Yep. Welcome to adulthood. It doesn't get any better. <laughs> wow. 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 Totally kidding. Carter, totally kidding. don't listen to that, man. <laughs> it's all downhill Actually, from here. You know, it will get better because then I get older and I get more opportunities. Yeah. I mean, you're going to own one of these restaurants at some point. Oh, that's right. Probably in like a year. Probably yeah, in a year. Definitely. The, you, need, the, you need to build one over by this Walmart here. If you were the first person to put a Chick-fil-A in Corden... Oh, man. Yeah. Oh. oh. Well, you don't choose where you put it. If you want Oh, no, no. You're one. Carter. You will choose. You will choose. And actually, you do start as a team member if you want to own one, so I'm on track. You're on track. Let's do it. There. One year from now. Well, <laughs> that's your goal. No, <laughs> well, guys, uh, this was... Last week was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Romans 2 and Spiritual Warfare Part 1 was a blast. We are going to dive into Romans 3 today, Thursday, Spiritual Warfare Part 2. Let's get into you it. got it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with Romans 3 and uh, dive right in. And I think, Carter, you're going to start yep. us off? All right. I'm going to start with the last verse of chapter 2. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Then chapter 3. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true through everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us, I speak in a human way. By no means. How could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, 
and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Verse 1 through 4. Is that Skim through it again, and we'll, we'll look at it. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of being circumcised? So, you know, coming out of chapter 2, talking about circumcision, uncircumcision, how circumcision, that physical representation, does not grant you that access into eternal life. Okay, In the, in the tr- Jewish tradition... As a baby boy is born eight days later, they are circumcised. That was a sign to say that they belong to God. That was the part of the Abrahamic covenant. Through that, the, the Jewish culture took that as a sign of they were, they were saved. They were good to go. And we, we see that kind of trickle down through... Um, Catholicism and a few others where when a baby is born, you dedicate and you baptize. You sprinkle the baby with water, and so now that baby is good. Um, And right here it's saying, no, no, that is not the case. Just because you're circumcised, that does not mean you are saved. That is is the outward. It's talking about the inward. Verse 29 in chapter 2, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. We're talking about the heart. We're not talking about that that physical representation. And it's interesting, Paul going through the with these first four verses. Paul is lawyering up. He's he's presenting the questions before they have time to question. And it, it's interesting. It's almost like he's heard these questions before. <laughs> Like I mean, he's only been in ministry for what twenty seven right. years at this point. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, he's he's heard these. He's heard all of them before. So so these would be some of the the more main your bigger arguments when it came to the Jew side versus Christian. So well, and he spends uh, you know a good amount of of the end of chapter two almost I don't know if berating is the right word, but kind of like putting Jew, the Jews in their place. Yeah. And, and telling them that there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. But then he, he does want to clarify in the first couple of verses of chapter 3 that, I mean, there is still an advantage of being a, you know, a Jew. There's still something special about being part of the Jewish 
heritage and Jewish lineage mm-hmm. because they were the ones entrusted with the law. Yes. They are the they are God's chosen people, the people that God chose to reveal himself to the world through. Yeah. And to redeem the world through. So there is still an advantage of being, you know, an ethnic Jew. And there's still blessings to be had, also a greater responsibility as well. Yeah. Well, and definitely in today's day and age, it's that mindset of, oh, well, uh, the Jews are no longer God's chosen people. The Christians are. Yes and no. The Jews are still God's chosen people. Like, he, he chose them. He promised them. God never goes back on his promises, ever. He will fulfill that promise to the Jews, and they are still his chosen people. But we have been grafted in. Adopted. Adopt, yeah, we've been adopted in. Um, it, it was a parable that, that Jesus shared. It, it was how he, the king sent out his servants to bring these people into the marriage feast, and they, they killed them. And so God devoted them to destruction. And who else did he then invite to the marriage feast? He said, go out to the street, invite whoever is in the street. Well, that's us. Us, the, the, the Christians, the people that have come in, we are those people. He has invited us in, but he has not forgotten his people. And you know, like you're saying, he goes through a list of reasons why being a Jew is still very important. And historically speaking, there has never been a people more devoted to destruction and then being brought back than the Jewish people. I mean, some of it by their own doing, some of it by the doings of, of other nations and yeah, other, exactly. other people groups. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, the Romans, a bunch more in and between those, all the way up to Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany was the pinnacle. Uh, there's something about six point something million. Uh, tremendous. But. Well, and, and even you see countries like Iran and, and the Palestinians. Who's in you know the, the group the Hamas, the Hamas terrorist group Al-Qaeda. in Al Qaeda, who's in their mission statement is we want to wipe Israel off the map. Mm-hmm. That is their almost sole purpose. Yeah, <laughs> is to eliminate Israel. Yeah, and it's interesting too that looking at so the Great Commission going out making disciples and and it says everyone by the end of the age before Jesus comes back everyone will have heard the name of Jesus, they will have heard the gospel. Well, there's there's another caveat to that, too. The people of Israel will turn back to God. Like, the whole, the nation of Israel will turn back to God. That is to come, too. So, going towards preaching the gospel, getting it out to everybody, having everyone, every nation, every tribe hear the word of God, there's that other side of the people of Israel have to turn back to God as well. And that that will happen. It will happen. But when that happens, then prepare for the end. <laughs> right. Yeah. So looking at verse 3, or uh, sorry, verse 2. I apologize. Okay, we're going to start over. So looking at verse 2, Paul uses the word oracles. And we talked about this before we started recording, the, the word oracles and, and what that means. So Austin, I think you had it, a... It's just... The, the the true definition or the the word oracle just means logos. It's the word, the oracles or the word of God. 
So, yeah. It, yeah. so Paul's you know referencing the entirety of the New Testament, Old Testament. Sorry, in in that in that passage here, he's talking about how you were entrusted with the actual Word of God, mm-hmm. which was the Old Testament at that point. Yeah, not just the law, but yeah, everything. So, verse three: What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? So that's talking about, and again, that that was a common question. The Pharisees would come and they'd ask Paul, so what you're saying is because some of the Jews, which really at that point it would have been most of them, because you had a select few who were actually truly following the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, versus most of the lay Jews. So he's saying, so because... There are just a few Jews who don't follow the law. It is completely nullifying all of us. Well, and I think there was a thought among the Jewish people, because, I mean, you see throughout Old Testament and and a lot in Paul's writings where the Jews just felt themselves to be very special, and they needed to be brought down to, brought down to, they need, they're, uh, okay, nope. (laughs) Their egos needed to be, uh. Put in check. They needed to be humbled. And and thank you. You're welcome. They needed to be humbled. It's so much more eloquent. I think we were able to work off. Each other. <laughs> no, it works pretty well. So they they needed some humility, and you see that throughout all of Paul's writings, all through the Old Testament. And I think what Paul is is talking about here are, are well, I'm Jewish by blood, therefore I'm going to get the promises of God, and I'm going to get the inheritance. I've been circumcised, so I'm. And gonna, Paul's yeah. like, mm, not quite. Like, there has to be repentance, there has to be, as we've talked about a lot, a change of heart, change of attitude, change of mindset, before you're going to get that inheritance, before you're going to get those promises of God. Because God's promises come with, you know, come with a requirement. We have to repent and believe. Mm-hmm. Well, it, uh, we'll get into it here in a little bit. What was the point of the law? There was a point to the law. It wasn't just this list of rules that they had to follow until the end of the age. There was a point, a reason why God gave it to them, which we will get to. So, yeah, the the last part of verse 3, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? That That was the question of, so what you're saying, Paul, is because of the few that are faithless, that nullifies the promises that God has made to the Jewish people, and in verse four, by no means, uh, the the Greek for that is, I believe, negenitas, megenitas, and literally that definition is no, 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 no. And Paul, Paul's like, no, that is not what I am saying at all. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. He's saying God is faithful. He is going to uphold the promises he has made to Abraham, the promises he's made to Isaac and Jacob. No matter how many are unfaithful. Exactly, yeah. And and that's the thing that the Jewish people were thinking, okay, it's going to happen here soon. The promises are going to be fulfilled. And we're going to be good to go. Well, Jesus is born. 2,000 years later, we're here now, and they're still waiting. But that's the thing. They're waiting, 
but God is waiting on them to turn back to him. So, and really it's, it's backwards, which is sad. <laughs> and there's some, my wife and I, we talk about a lot. We're like, that should be a, a really big focus that I think the church needs to be looking at as well. Besides, you know, yeah, going out to countries, uh, neighborhoods, communities, sharing the, the gospel, but we need to be going to the Jews and, and looking at them as hopefully potential brothers and sisters in Christ through through Christ but they are they are God's chosen people the ones that the law was given to and i, I think we need to be reaching them a little bit more as well just kind of something food for thought yeah yeah verse 5 but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God what shall we say that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us i speak in a human way by no means, or no, 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 yeah. no, no. <laughs> For then how could God judge the world? But if through the, my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. So It's a, you know, a little bit of a cryptic little passage to try to unpack and understand. So let, let's dive into the the... These three verses here, verses five through eight. Verse five, when it, it, okay. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? That's like, that's like taking a diamond or a diamond necklace and putting it on black velvet to make the diamond necklace pop out more, to be able to see the definition. That's, that and that's why he's saying I am speaking in human terms because this is the only way I can say it to hopefully make you understand this. And it's so basically the only way to show God's faithfulness, to show God's uprightness, is for us to sin. That way it's that black velvet that helps embolden and show the diamond, which is God's faithfulness. And that's where he's like. No, 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 no. By no means am I saying that, that we, God basically made us to sin. We're supposed to sin. That way God is able to shine even brighter above us all. He's like, no, no, that is not what I'm saying. Not at all. Well, a couple of things. First, in order to know what, like, like a term wet in order to know what wet means, you have to know what dry means. You have to know the opposite, right? Yeah. To know what light is, you have to know what darkness is. And that's the kind of the logic that Paul is using here is that, look, in order to know what God's righteousness is, we have to have the opposite. We have to know what unrighteousness is. We have to know what sin looks like. There has to be both. In order for something to be true, the opposite has to also exist, right? Good has to have evil. For good to exist, there has to be evil. Yeah. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And and I think it's really important, and, and Paul gets into this later on in the, in the chapter, it's really important to understand that, you're right, he's not giving us an excuse to keep sinning because we can show God's righteousness through our unrighteousness. It's human nature is to sin. We all do it. And, and so God's going to use that to show his righteousness. Right. And so Taking what the devil meant for evil and turning it into good. good. Yeah, yeah. For then how could God judge the world, Right. If 
in verse seven, but if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Basically, God wants us, again, he's speaking in human terms, why would God not want us to lie if it is showing how God's truth abounds for his glory? And again, that's where he says, by no means. No, this is not this is not it. It is, we are sinful people. We are going to sin. We are going to lie. That is part of our flesh. But despite of that, God's truth, God's righteousness will be upheld. Very important distinction. And and again, that was that was one of the common questions the Jews the Pharisees were giving Paul. They were asking, do we have a license to sin now? I mean, they were, they, you know, they, they felt that his, especially the Pharisees and Sadducees, like you said, the religious leaders of the day, they, they, they were so adamant that the law is the only way to salvation, or that, you know, upholding the law perfectly is, is how we are right with God. And they believed that with this new teaching of Paul, that, well, Paul's just giving you a license to sin, so grace can abound. And then yeah, that's, yeah. he he's, again, that's a common theme through Paul's writings where he's like, that's not what I'm saying, guys. There still has to be an obedience and repentance and a life change in order for it, you know, in order for the, for it to be a true salvation experience. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, that, that's where we'll get into the law. What was the point? So verse eight, and why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. Again, that's just going to back up. Why not do evil that good may come? Why not keep sinning? Why not keep doing these evil things that Jesus, that God, is able to come back and just show how awesome he is? So why not? Why not keep doing that? And again, by no means. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no, none is righteous, no, not one. So again, yeah, this is just going, this is backing up, this is reaffirming the difference between Jews and Greeks, Jews, Gentiles. And again, like Brad was saying in an earlier episode, at that time, if you were considered Greek, it was it was just because you were there. It's kind of like the United States. You live in the United States. And we have people from all nationalities here. It is the the main concept there. So, well, it, Paul wants to make sure again and hammer home that both Jews and Greeks stand condemned before God. That neither one uphold the law. All all have sinned. And again, he, he says that here in a few, couple of verses here. But they all stand guilty before God, Jew and Greek alike. And and I think it's really important. And I think most people that would listen to this, hopefully know and understand that this completely debunks the, the racial superiority narrative that we're seeing yeah. in, in our culture today. It completely puts that to bed. Because that's exactly what this is. This is a race of people, an ethnicity, that is saying we're better than all the other ethnicities. We have superiority over all these other ethnicities. And Paul's like, yeah, but no, you don't, though. Yeah. Everyone stands condemned guilty before God. We're all the same. We're one race, one human race. Mm-hmm. And this idea of one group's better than the other, or one group 
deserves more privilege than the other. Well, and Paul puts that to bed. One group has more privilege than another, which by no means, no. Right. And that's, we are all under sin. Every single one of us. Everyone under heaven that has ever, ever lived and ever will live. We are under sin. And so, going on, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. None is is righteous, no, not one. I mean, Jesus says himself, he says, no one is good except the Son of Man, which is him, which is Jesus. And no one understands, no one seeks for God. I mean, if that's not the most true statement there is. Our works, our deeds, our good intentions, our morals ultimately are useless without Christ. Ultimately, our, our good deeds, the, the things we, the, the charity that we have, the, the generosity that we show, it means nothing without Christ and without being redeemed and repentant. And, and you look at verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. So you have this image of the tombs, you know, in, in the Old Testament, New Testament era, that were sealed, not just to respect the dead, they were sealed to also hide what's inside, right? Yeah. So, so there's no smell, and, and you don't see the decay and the, the rot that's, that's taken place. And so when a tomb is left open, the smell just permeates the area, and anyone who walks by it can, can smell it and, and see the decay and the rot inside, and, and that's the analogy that Paul's using here, or actually Paul's quoting from the Old Testament, that's the analogy that Scripture's using here. When you are not a believer, when you are not under Christ, when you're not washed in His blood, your heart is decaying, you, you are dead inside, and your speech gives that away. And it, your speech allows the rot and the disgust and the decay to come out it's and, like, and it's expose like it. breath. <clears throat> to the, my dad's a deputy <laughs> coroner. He says that the... The smell of death is something you'll you'll never experience. Like you you don't you don't know what that's like. A human human death yeah. at least you don't know what that's like until you experience it. Yeah. Then you'll never forget it. Well, that and it yeah, it's a smell that never it never comes out of your nose. Honestly, it it doesn't. Those verses, like he's saying, he's quoting the Old Testament verses eleven and twelve. That is Psalms chapter fourteen one through three, chapter fifty three one through three, and then. Verse 13, it's Psalms 5, verse 9, Psalms 140, verse 3, and so on and so forth. It's Psalms 10, 7. He's quoting Proverbs, chapter 1, 16, chapter 3, 15 through 17. He's quoting Isaiah, chapter 59, 7 and 8, Psalms, chapter 36, verse 1, Genesis, chapter 15, verse 6. It's cool. This... Paul knew. Paul knew the Old Testament, and he could recite it. I mean, that he, he went to school for that. Literally, he went to school, and he was at school 
until he was 30, and then he began when Jesus began. So he knew scripture. He could use it. And it's interesting. He's quoting David. He's quoting David to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And that is something that it's kind of like a drop the mic. Oh, okay. Let me quote King David to you. Besides Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that was one of one of the big ones, right? King David. Got the the one that it only says a man after God's own heart. So I thought that was interesting. So verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. God did not create us for evil. We were meant for good. We were meant to be perfect. So with that knowledge of good and evil, it's almost like our minds couldn't handle it. Our minds can't handle the knowledge of evil. And, and this isn't scriptural. This this is my my thought. It's that's why we have such high rates of suicide. That's why we have all this. I mean, b- besides the evil, yes, we have all this other things because our minds cannot handle that knowledge of evil. So what do we do with it? And when you don't have knowledge of Christ, you don't have that that peace and that freedom that comes with with living under under his lordship, you have no way of handling it. Yeah. You are always constantly looking for a way to fill that void and to worship something and it's always unfulfilling and people get to that point like like you're alluding to a suicide. They get to that point where like there is nothing I can do to satisfy this this desire this need inside of me so i give up what's that thing of yeah nothing can help why it's because our minds were not meant to understand that knowledge of evil and it once adam and eve ate the knowledge of good and evil it was forced on us and now we have it and yeah if you don't have the holy spirit if you don't have that that relationship with god it's almost like your mind doesn't know what to do with it. And so evil permeates from that. And it, it just comes out of every pore, basically. So verse 20, he kind of wraps up this somewhat uh, not depressing, necess- well, maybe a little bit depressing, somewhat depressing set of uh, a bleak, bleak is a better word, this bleak set of, of scripture where he just is berating us saying, we're all terrible. Both Jews and Greeks are worthless and useless when it comes to appeasing God and, and upholding his righteous standard. We're, we're, he wraps it up by saying, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's exactly what you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. We now know right and wrong, yet we still do wrong. And if if it ended there, if that's where it stopped, it would be completely hopeless. Because the, the entire the, the first twenty verses are just showing us that we cannot do this on our own. We are filthy rags, right? Our, our our righteous deeds, our good deeds, are as filthy rags. Be very bleak. It'd be very dark and depressing if it stopped at verse twenty, which is where we're going to stop today. I'm kidding. <laughs> what? I'm like what? <laughs> <laughs> totally kidding. And we're done. We're, uh, we're going to leave it there. We'll you guys, back later. we're we're all terrible. There's no hope. 
<laughs> it's not true. Well, because uh, verse twenty-one. Verse yeah. Because verse twenty-one. The, the two of my favorite or one of my favorite words in scripture. But hmm. anytime I see that word in scripture, especially in the New Testament and Paul's writings, I'm like, all right, something good's coming. Yeah. Something that some gives us some hope is coming. But I also like when it combines it, but God. He doesn't do that here, but it's okay. Because what now, is coming next? Yeah. Read it. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it as the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't stop there either. <laughs> Again, he, he wants to reiterate, yeah, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So there's the good news. There's the hope at the end of that dark tunnel that we were just in talking about our, our unrighteousness and our inability to appease God. But the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. I mean, I, re- I really don't... Well. Know how to get clearer than that. Yeah. Well, so, again, it goes back to why did God give the law? It says, so God has been manifest apart from the law. Because God, he he didn't need it. We did. And this, so this was before, again, this was before Christ. This was before the Holy Spirit would come within us. So, God gave the law as a way to keep those boundaries. And because of the law, it says, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Why? Because every time you would read a law and you're like, oh, that's wrong. Okay, now you know that's wrong. Now it's up to you to uphold that and not do that. And through that, Jesus comes, fulfills the law. Now, once you have been saved, you have the Holy Spirit. That law is now written on your heart. Why? Because you now have that conviction. When you do something wrong, it is no longer, well, crud, I need to go back to the law and actually read, was that wrong? And then, let me look at the word definitions. Does it truly say what I did was wrong? And, oh, well, the law doesn't actually say this, so I can get away with it. No. Now we are of that time with the Holy Spirit and Jesus that you do something and you are truly of him, he will let you know. Since the law has been written on your heart, he will say, no, that is wrong. And I'm going to convict you on that. And again, not trying to jump up too far ahead, but that just because you're not convicted doesn't mean it's not wrong. Conviction comes, again, not just by way of knowledge. It it comes by way of, of the Holy Spirit and God convicting you. But a lot of times that is through reading through scripture. Hebrews 1.1, when it's discussing how in the past he spoke to us, he spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these final days he speaks to us through his son. How do we learn about his son? Through scripture. You have to be in the word, you have to be reading. If you are not reading scripture 
daily, if you are not in the scriptures all of the time, and you are not being convicted of certain things, and you think, well, I'm not being convicted, so therefore, it's okay. That that common thing of, oh, well, that's that's your conviction, that's not my conviction. Yes, there's a truth to that. Yeah, God, God presents certain people with certain things at certain times. We know that. But if it's scriptural, someone has been convicted earlier because they've read it and they have been convicted versus you haven't been reading. So therefore, you're not convicted. That's a mindset to think of. That is also another reason why you need to be in scripture all the time. But again, not trying to jump too far ahead because we'll we'll get there. So let's look at like one of my favorite words (laughs) in the Bible. And I think it's, is this the only place it's used? Oh, that's a good question. I, I feel like it is. Maybe I'm wrong. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But the word propitiation, you see it in verse 25. So so the word means to appease God, to appease his wrath. The wrath that was brought about because of our sin, the wrath that was brought about because we offended his perfection and holiness through sin. It is also used in 1 John. Oh, 1 John. Nice. You beat nice. me to it. Good job. All right. Well, I stand corrected. Yeah. Happens a lot. Anyway. But you are sitting, so. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Wow. But Christ's death, Christ's work on the cross, his, his violent death appeased the wrath of God. And those of us who believe in that, those of us who claim Christ, those of us who are under his lordship, that has justified us to God. That work, his work on the cross, has appeased God. We have a legal standing of not guilty before God the Father. And with that, again, that go that goes on that that basis of don't keep sinning, you know, don't keep sinning that grace may abound by no means. Yes, we have been found not guilty, but but do not live that way. That is for at the end of the age when we are standing before God and we, we will be judged, every one of us, for our actions. And if you have truly accepted Christ into your heart, the free gift is eternal life. That is going to come. But don't look at it as, oh, well, I'm not guilty, so I can keep doing what I want. Well, and think about it this way. When Adam and Eve sinned, God would have been completely justified in destroying them and wiping out the human race. And restarting, yeah. Uh, he, it, but even if he wanted Even if, if he wanted to. Yeah. He would have been completely justified in just saying, eh, I'm done with you guys, and that's it. That's the same way with us. The minute we, or the fact that we sin, God is completely justified in saying, yeah, you're done. And just like 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 a child with an ant, just hitting us with his thumb and just squishing us and we're done. Yeah. He, he can do that. He has every right to do that because we have not lived up to the standard that we were created for. Yes. And on top of that, every sin, every sinner has to be punished, has to be dealt with by God. And for those of us who believe, for for those of us who are in Christ, ours were dealt with on the cross. Those who are not, theirs will be judged individually and dealt with on a person-by-person basis. Yeah. Every single thing that you've done in your entire life will be layered I, man, I can't even imagine that. I heard this saying one time, and like, as I heard it, it was like, like I was gritting my teeth. It was cring, I was cringing hearing it. They were like, 
they were like, if we don't sin, what did he die for? On the and I was like, that that's not. <laughs> or they were like, that's what Paul's like, <laughs> yeah, that, talking yeah. against yeah, right here. They were like, well, I'm I'm fine if I sin because then it makes his death valuable and like I'll, and he's actually dying for something. Oh, like, <sighs> oh, there's like, that heresy, agree. blasphemy. I agree with that. Yeah, Satan, there's that. Get behind me. Well, it's that justifying your actions. It's like saying, no, yeah. Yeah, okay, I can do this. Because if not, you know, what was the point of Christ? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that goes all the way back to the beginning, that Satan twisting God's words. And it it's interesting. There's a common quote. It's, knowledge is power, right? Well, no. More along the lines of knowledge of evil is power. That that is one of the biggest one of them that the things that Satan has twisted, because true knowledge, you know, true wisdom is from God, whereas knowledge of the world that's evil. So knowledge is power. That's knowledge of evil. Knowledge not of good, but of evil. That's just yeah, something to think about. So. This this passage, this this nine through twenty six, introduces this idea of penal substitution, and it's going to be a little bit of a rehash of what we've talked about a little bit so far today, and and about Christ's work. But I want to read a little bit on penal substitution. So completely apart from our own law keeping, God's saving righteousness comes through faith in Christ's atonement. Paul gives prominence to faith, particularly the saving faith that wholly relies on Christ crucified and risen. The object of saving faith here is Christ's death as redemption and propitiation, or appeasement. Christ's blood, his death on the cross, is the redemption price that liberates slaves to sin. His propitiation answers the question of how a loving and holy God can rescue sinners without compromising his upright character. Christ died in the place of us lawbreakers, bearing the wrath of a holy and just God. In Old Testament times, God forgave believing Israelites who trusted in the picture of the gospel the animal sacrifices communicated, while God looked to a future time when he would actually make atonement. That time came when God put Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood to show his righteousness at the present time. Jesus' sacrifice enabled God to retain his moral integrity while simultaneously rescuing all who trust Jesus for salvation. So the moral, the, 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 the uh, theology for life, as this uh, little paragraph puts it, we are morally bankrupt and need a savior. Faith is only as good as its object. Therefore, faith in Jesus saves, for he alone accomplished redemption and propitiation. And that just summarizes... 9 through 26. Paul goes through this this list of we need a savior, we cannot please God on our own. Christ is that savior. Christ is that redemption. We are lawbreakers. We are vile. We are criminals in God's eyes. Christ's death, the blood he shed, his victory over that death by raising from the dead justifies us. Yeah. Makes we, us not guilty. Yeah, we are justified. Because of Christ. <laughs> There's that hope, that but God. Well, and, and it's interesting, too. So, again, it, English butchering words and meanings of words, hope. Nowadays, hope is, you know, oh, I hope to be this one day, or I hope for this one day. And it's that you might get it, you might not. Whereas hope when it comes to scriptures, no. 
our hope is in Christ, which we are, it's a weight. It's not, a, I hope I will get it. It's, I hope in it because one day I will get it. And there, that is a very big distinction. Absolutely. Our hope is in Christ because it will happen. It's interesting. Just a little bit of a sidebar. Um, the English language is really elegant. Awful. No, well, no, no. It has really elegant parts. Yeah. And it has. That such... was weird. You said elegant. He said awful at the same time. <laughs> I don't know what to hear. Well, it, it's Sorry. It, uh, to me the English language is is has a duality. It is. It has yeah. its elegance. It has some words that are just beautiful and wonderful. But then the common English language that mm. we typically speak. Uh, is lacking and it's just yeah. like you, we talked about love how how there are so many different words for love in, in the greek language and in scripture yet we have one yeah we talk about pride pride um when i when i say i'm proud of you that means something other than pride of life and in the sinful pride but again in the original languages of the of the of this of scripture two different words yeah it, and here we just have one that just doesn't pack the punch it do, and it yeah. doesn't convey the message well yeah well and yeah so like yeah with pride when like paul is using i i'm i it does it's the true translation isn't i i'm proud of you or i'm proud of this more commonly or no more accurately it's translated as i rejoice i rejoice in you it's not i'm proud of you i rejoice with you in you through and there is that big distinction because, again, pride goes back to true that that evil pride goes back to the garden. It yeah. goes well, back it's, it's to the original sin. The original sin. Yeah. <laughs> it's Satan. where all sin comes from is from pride. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or C.S. Lewis calls it the the cancer, the cancer of sin. Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up these last few verses here in Romans three, and then uh, might have some homework. So yeah, verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So our boasting, again, looking at that boasting in ourselves, boasting in our accomplishments is, is wrong. And in our ability to that uphold the law. Yeah. yeah, that is pride. Think, yeah, thinking that we can do this on our own, thinking that we can uphold the law, we can look at the Ten, Commandment, Ten Commandments and be like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I've got all ten of those down. And then Jesus comes to you and says, well, what about this? You know, we, he did that. That's why he gave the two, love thy neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And th- there's a purpose for that. And, and again, Paul is is wanting to just hammer home to the to the Jewish people a couple, couple of different things that, look, the law shows your need for a Savior. Faith is what's going to get you that Savior, right? Faith is, is what's going to save you because you, you've, you already know you can't perfectly fulfill the law. 
you are you you break one, you break them all, right? You're guilty of of not following one law. You're guilty of breaking all the laws. Paul says that. So he's wanting to just hammer this home to these people, these stubborn people, <laughs> these people who just aren't getting it that. You are no longer under the law. The law is not what saves you. Christ is what saves you. The faith in him is what's going to save you. Also, not just you, you Jewish people. Not just you. It is for everyone. It is for Jews and Gentiles alike. God is the God of all. He is the God of both Jews and Gentiles. Salvation is offered to all mankind. It's not a race-based, an ethnic-based thing. It is a humanity thing, a human race offering. And so looking at 31, some a little bit of commentary from MacArthur kind of helps elude and helps, I think, lighten it up a little bit. Knowing, we, knowing he would be accused of antinomianism, which is being against the law, for arguing that a man was justified apart from keeping the law, Paul introduced here the defense he later developed in chapter 6 and 7, through faith we establish the law. Salvation by grace through faith does not denigrate the law, but underscores its true importance. By providing a payment for the penalty of death, which the law required for failing to keep it, two, by fulfilling the law's original purpose, which is to serve as a tutor to show mankind's utter inability to obey God's righteous demands and to drive people to Christ. Three, by giving believers the capacity to obey it. So, when it when it, he goes through and he says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold it. That, that is a thought that is, not that one, but the thought of, oh, well, now we have Jesus, so the law is null and void. We don't need it. We have grace. That is a very dangerous thought. Well, that goes back to what Carter said. Well, because we're under grace, I need to be able to sin so that grace means something. Right. No, the, the law is still there. Jesus says, I did not come to change the law. I came to fulfill it. I did not come to change a single dot. The law is still important. It is still there. It has not been changed. I mean, when you look at Old Testament versus New Testament, you look at the law versus now. There are things, again, through Christ being, things have been fulfilled that we don't do anymore, as in sacrifices. We don't sacrifice anymore. Why? Because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. When it talks about clean and unclean foods, there are things that we can eat now, like bacon. We can eat shellfish. Why? Because Jesus says, what goes into your mouth does not defile you. It is what comes out of your mouth. If there is something you're struggling with, like, okay, do I follow the law? Do I not follow the law? Yes. Yeah, you follow the law. You do. It, it's there. Looking at the Ten Commandments, you don't not follow the Ten Commandments because, well, Jesus came, so they're null and void. He gave the two commandments because it encompasses all ten. Right. And if you were looking at that, saying, okay, well, what do we do? What do we not do? Scripture is very clear. It tells you, hey, you can do this. Hey, you can't do that. That one, that was the point of the law, right? That was supposed, the law was given to give you that understanding of good and evil. Since, again, 
our minds can't truly comprehend evil. So God gave the law for that reason. And through scripture, he, he lists those things out in the New Testament, what we can do now versus what the Jews still uphold, as in the, the not eating bacon, not eating pig, right. not eating unclean foods versus what we can do now. And so that's, that's, that's an important distinction because the law is still there. And it, he says, on the contrary, we uphold the law. So there, right there, that is the argument debunked. Do we not follow the Old Testament anymore? N- no, we do. 100% we uphold the law. Right. But why? And, and, and we need to make sure we have that distinction. We don't fall into legalism. Understand that there are there is freedom in Christ, and mm-hmm. we, we don't need to be we slave to the slave. law. Exactly. Okay? Um, and again, understanding, and this is another topic for another day, but understanding the context of, of what what was said in the Old Testament, the different laws. I mean, you have laws like, you know, not wearing clothes with more than one fabric in them. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, is that, does that apply today? Does it not apply today? Like, wh- wh- where do we go? Wh- what do we do with that? Yeah. Kind of like Austin said, you know, there's some things that, that the New Testament writers say, okay, these, these aspects of it are not necessarily valid, especially the food stuff. A lot of those food laws were because of, there was no way to, keep them healthy, right? There was no way to, to preserve and to keep uh, keep from getting sick from well, these meats and these different, different that is, things. That is a very interesting thing. Because, yeah. yeah, so they're uh, looking at, you know, pork. What is the one meat you cannot eat raw? Right. Or undercooked. Or, or undercooked yeah, you gotta, or anything. It's got to be, th- it's, it's pork. Yeah, because it will make you sick and it can kill you. Yeah. Shellfish is it's some of the same same things, right. and it God knew this. God knew it, so it it was part of that encompassed of the law. But now you know having Christ, uh, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> so I want to kind of close out my thoughts with just giving you hope and and reiterating. Yeah, there was some bleakness in some of these verses where we cannot. We are not worthy of God. We are not worthy of His love, of His mercy, of His grace. We, you know, our, our hearts are, are decaying and dying when we're not under Christ and before we come to salvation. And we can't do it on our own, but Christ did it for us. And, and just rest in that hope. And, and don't, get, don't get discouraged when, when you fail, when you mess up, when you stumble. You're going to do it. It doesn't mean it's right. It, it's You need to deal with it. You need to... There will be consequences. It is serious. Sin is serious. But also don't wallow in that despair when you sin. Repent. Deal with the consequences. Understand that it was wrong. Take it seriously. But also, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and keep moving forward. And keep moving towards Christ. Mm-hmm. Because... His blood, his his death, his burial, his resurrection on the cross is enough to cover your sin, fat, past, present, and future sin. He has covered it. It is finished. Hope in that. Yeah. Find comfort in that. Deal with your sin. <laughs> Don't use it as a justify a way to justify your sin. Deal with it. Repent. Repent of it. But don't 
lay there in it and stew in it and stew in the yeah. despair and the, and the depression that, that that sin causes. Sin causes depression. I mean, let's be honest. That 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 the whole mental health epidemic here, especially in the West, yeah, it's it's all stems from sin. Well, and again, that's that knowledge of evil. Yeah, we were not meant. We were our our minds were not meant for evil. And because of that, yeah, we permeate. That's that mental illness. It's that that evil sets in our mind and like, yeah, it sits there. We stew in it. We permeate and we can't handle it. And the only way to combat that is Christ, is God, is the Holy Spirit, constant prayer, constant washing our minds through Scripture. And e- even as believers, we have to do that, guys. Because we just be just because we have accepted Christ does not exclude us from that. We are still flesh. We are oh. still sinful natured, and we have to pray. We have to wash our minds. Yeah, the scripture. darkest times of my life were when I was wallowing in that sin. I was still under Christ and, and still under His blood, but like for a little while there, I was just sitting in that muck. Yeah, and and not pulling myself out of it, not getting having Christ pull me out of it. So. I was still a believer, still still a child of God, but man, for a little while there, I w- it was dark. It, I was depressed. Mm-hmm. I was upset. I I was not happy and, and and joyful. I didn't have that you know that drive to to the joy down in the, your heart. the joy. Yeah, and, and it don't do that. <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> under. Remind yourself daily as you talk about with scripture. Remind yourself daily that that Christ is enough, and that is a very dangerous place to be. Yeah. So don't do that. So guys, just this week, think through this idea of grace. Think through Christ's work. Think through the... Remind yourselves daily that you, A, don't deserve it, B, can't earn it, and then C, get it anyway, right? Rest in that, hope in that, have joy in that, have comfort in that, have peace in that, and use that as a motivation to move towards Christ, and to become more Christ-like, because that's that's the whole point. That's the whole goal, is to, as we move through our lives, to become more and more like Christ each and every day. We say that it sounds cliche, it sounds whatever, but that's the truth. It's it's what it's what Christ is doing in us. It's what he he his goal is to present us as blameless at the end of the day, end of the age. Yeah, and only through His blood can that can that be done, can that be accomplished. So. So, guys, I hope this was an encouraging week. I hope this was an encouraging chapter. I found it very encouraging because it, it I just, I love the the flow of this chapter of, yeah, we're terrible, we're awful, we're terrible, we're the worst, but Jesus. Yes. And, and that's just such an amazing thing to think about. So, rest in that this week. Hope on that this week. Come back to us on Thursday when we discuss spiritual warfare part two. Like us, subscribe, leave us a review, check us out on all the social medias, our website, Patreon, if you want to support us. And we will see you guys on Thursday. In the meantime, stay rooted. Thank you for listening to our show. If you enjoyed what you heard, like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. You can find us on Apple, Google, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, at Rooted in Logos Pod, or even on our website, www.rootedinlogospod.com. And if you want to support us financially, visit us at patreon.com slash rootedinlogospod.